Judah was in a place of great trouble when this prophecy first came to them. But God promised to save them. In fact, Isaiah's name means Yah has saved or Jehovah has saved. In the prophet's very name, it declared the salvation of God to the people. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Isaiah 7.14 is a, a verse that is quoted every year at Christmas time. And without a doubt, you'll hear... Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. And you'll hear this verse, Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So tonight I want us to actually look at a little of the backstory of Isaiah 7, 14. It's always important to get the context of Bible passages. Sometimes in the book of Proverbs, it's just a standalone verse, but usually the majority of the Bible, there's context surrounding the events that give reason for prophecy to be spoken. And this prophecy we'll discover tonight actually had a twofold fulfillment. And it's important that there were two fulfillments of this prophecy. The first fulfillment would give the people of Israel confidence that the Lord would also fulfill his word concerning the second coming. And so tonight we're going to look at a message I titled Emmanuel. And we are going to see in verses 1 through 12 a great apostasy. And then we'll see a great sign from God in verses 13 and 14. And Emmanuel, God with us, will go over to Matthew's gospel and pick up in chapter 1 where it is quoted by the angel of the Lord to Joseph to give him confidence in what was being told him. We'll look at that as we get through the word of God tonight. But I want us to see the context of where this came from. It's very important to, again, when you're in the Bible, to look at the whole chapter or to maybe sometimes have to go back two or three chapters to kind of get a feel for what's taking place. And This prophecy was first given by the prophet Isaiah to a wicked king, King Ahaz of Judah. And he was, as far as the wicked scale in the Bible to date, he was Judah's most wicked king to date. There would be some who would follow him. 
But the apostasy in Israel was getting pretty bad at this time, in the time of this prophecy coming. Also, their neighbors to the north, remember at this point we're talking about the divided kingdom. We have ten tribes of Israel to the north and the two southern tribes to the south. So the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel had joined with Syria and they were trying to conquer Judah. They were bringing war against Judah and Judah was being overwhelmed. They had two kingdoms battling against them and it was more than they could handle. We find Ahaz, his name actually meant he has grasped or possessor, but it was not God that Ahaz had grasped hold of, nor had he possessed the Lord God of Israel. He had actually held on to the false gods of Israel to the north, to the gods of the nations around him. He also worshiped the gods of the nations who dwelt in the land before them. Ahaz did everything that God told him not to do. And he was the leader of his people. And so the people, the majority of the people followed their king in this apostasy. His brazen idolatry helped to lead his nation even into a greater apostasy. As Judah and their king turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had founded them and formed them as a nation. So God allowed Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, to come against them, to attack them. And this alliance, though they could not conquer Judah. And the only reason they were unable to conquer Judah is because God's watchful care was over his nation at this point. Israel their time was set. Israel would go into captivity within 75 years. But Judah, there was still hope for the nation, and there would be at least two more revivals come to their nation. Sometimes I think of our own country. And as we close out this year like none other, we wonder if there is a hope, a future for our own nation. And sometimes I wonder, and I do pray for this, and I hope that it's true, but my first hope is that Jesus would return again and just come for his church. Lord, get it over with. But I know that if the Lord would have done that before 1967, well, I wouldn't have gotten to heaven. It kind of rhymed. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it works. So God waits. He has patience more so than what we could ever understand. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe here in America, there's another revival ahead of us. That's my prayer. It's got to be our prayers at the church today. But we don't know that for sure. But historically, if we look over our nation, we see that there were at least four great revivals connected to the United States before we were even called the United States. And we find that during those revivals that God changed the course of our nation. Our nation was headed down a path that was not good. And God stepped in. He intervened. He changed the hearts of people. And he called the nation back to himself. God would do this for Judah. So although Syria and Israel came against Judah, they could not prevail against them. But only because of God's watchful care over the Judeans. 
yet they did hurt them mightily. For in one battle, they crippled Ahaz by capturing the port city of Elath, killing one of his sons and two of his officers. And in that same battle, 120,000 in Judah died in a single day. That's pretty bad. 120,000 people killed in a single day, and they captured 200,000 women and boys and girls. So the sons, the daughters, the women, 200,000. But God will even work in that area. We'll see that in a moment. Here's the thing. Instead of Ahaz turning to the God of Israel, who had founded them and formed them as a nation, he turned to Tiglath-Pleser of Assyria. And he sent him this king. He sent him silver and gold that he had stripped from the temple treasury and from his own treasury, his own house. And after that, Tiglath-Pleser killed the king of Damascus. He took their people captive. And Ahaz then, with this victory, went up to Damascus, which is north of Israel. And he visited the king there. And while he was in Damascus, he saw an altar that they had built to their God. And Ahaz was so impressed with the altar that he had an architect come and copy the dimensions of the altar, sent it down to Jerusalem and commanded that that altar be built before he returned to Jerusalem. And once set up in Jerusalem, it replaced the bronze altar that stood before the temple. It replaced the true altar of worship with a false altar from a false god. Moreover, he stripped away many of the articles of worship. He removed the Sabbath pavilion, the king's private entrance. He wasn't going to the temple, so he thought, I don't need this extra door here. We'll just get rid of it. And instead of returning to the Lord God who had formed them, who had watched over their nation, Ahaz then led their people even into a greater apostasy with this altar from Damascus. Yet still, God extended his grace. He sent a prophet named Oded. I know there is a prophet named Obed in the Bible, but this one is spelt with two Ds. And through his counsel, he went up north. Israel had captured, remember I said they had captured 200,000 women, boys, and girls. And the prophet got the army of Israel to release those captives back to Judah. God had grace over Judah at that time. And he also had grace in sending the prophet Isaiah, along with his son, to tell Ahaz that Rezin and Pekah, the, the king of Israel and the king of Syria, that they would not prevail against him. And although the Syrian-Israeli threat was very great, Isaiah prophesied that their enemies would fall within 65 years Assyria would be taken into captivity by Tiglath-Pleser, the king of Assyria in 732 B.C., and Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. We have this not only recorded in the Bible for us, we know the dates because history records these very same events. The Bible lining up with history, imagine that. In our country today, they're trying to totally rewrite history, but for those who are true students of this world, and they see the truth that's found in Scripture. And although it appeared 
it seemed that King Ahaz's alliance with the Assyrian king worked because his enemies would be no more. They'd already conquered Damascus and took their people into captivity, killed the king over Damascus. It appeared that it had worked, but God challenged Ahaz to place his trust in him and not in man. And that's often the problem in our world today. Here again, a year like none other, with a pandemic throughout the world, we are placing our hope in a lot of different things. People look to man. They look to government. They look to a vaccine to save. And then God asked Ahaz, he said, give me a sign. I'll work it for you. Just test me on this. Ahaz, your choice. What do you want? Now, Ahaz, he said he would not test God in this way. He refused to give any kind of sign. I'm glad that Ahaz refused to give the Lord a sign because the Lord then gave Ahaz a sign. The Lord gave Ahaz a sign that has blessed us to this day. We're gathered here together tonight to worship Jesus, who is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 and 23, the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And yet the sign, Isaiah 7, verses 13 and 14, we see a great sign from God. In verse 13, he says, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, like many of the Old Testament prophecies, often they had dual fulfillments. And this was necessary if there was going to be a later fulfillment of a prophecy Obviously, it didn't have to be this way, but God did this for the people's benefit to know that Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord. They would be a near fulfillment of this prophecy because the latter prophecy, the second fulfillment of this prophecy, would come some 700 years later. That's a long time to wait for a prophecy to be fulfilled. So in the meantime, the Lord said the virgin shall conceive and give birth to the son. And this is thought to have been Isaiah's virgin bride who gave birth to a son. And not thought to be, it tells us in chapter 8 that his uh, bride had a baby and they named the baby there. I'll get to the names of them in a little bit. And the meaning of Isaiah and his two sons that are named in scripture for us. And yet the Bible tells us that before their son, Isaiah and his wife's son, would know good from evil, that the Syrian-Israeli alliance would be broken. And so it would be very short, very quick, before he knew good from evil, about the age of two years old, this alliance would be broken and they would not come against Judah. Even though Judah's land would be greatly diminished at this time, how could it not? They already had 120,000 men die in a battle in one day. Their country was diminished, and yet they still did not turn their hearts back toward the Lord God of Israel, who had founded them and formed them as a nation. In verse 18, 
The Lord said, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for a fly, Egypt. That is from the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt. And for a bee that is in the land of Assyria, referring to the Assyrians, they will come and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and in the thorns and all the pastures. Again, historically, we find that what took place after this is it wasn't great for Israel, but God planted them there in a really unlikely place upon the earth. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to visit the land of Israel, but, you know, if they don't water it, nothing grows. It's a very dry and arid place. It does have some areas that are more tropical, but again, just say a hundred years ago, it was so desolate. The mosquitoes were so bad in that area that nobody wanted to live there until slowly but surely in the late 1800s, the Jews started returning to the land, buying property, drying up the waters, uh, planting eucalyptus trees and making it a beautiful place that it is today. But it is a very dry and desolate place. Unless the Lord blesses it with the early and spring rains and the land is tended and cared for. But also this area of Israel, and this is what I was getting to, because this happened to them often, and it happened with Israel and Assyria. If anyone from Babylon, Assyria, from the north wanted to attack Egypt, they had two choices to get down to Egypt. They could travel a long route on the... Uh, eastern side of a ridgeland, a mountain region, and it was a long route from Babylon to Egypt that way, and it was a hard road to travel. Or they could cut across through Israel, and through Israel they could have water, they could raid Israel and get food for their battle, their armies and such. But for a period of time, God planted these soldiers right in Israel. It became the battleground, and the Assyrian and Egyptian forces contended there in the land of Israel. Their place became a desolate place. In fact, God said in verse 20, in the same day, the Lord will shave with the haired razor with those who are beyond the river and the king of Assyria. So Egypt and Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs and the beard would be removed and this isn't talking about, although it gives a picture of someone shaving a man from head to toe. They're talking about the desolation that would come upon their land. That those who would survive, according to Isaiah 7.15 and Isaiah 8.21 and 22, they would live on a diet of curds and honey. This is what this child would grow up eating, a time of war. It reminded me of my dad who was raised very poor in Southern Illinois. And I remember one time my mom making beans and cornbread and I like beans and cornbread, get an old ham bone and some ham left on it, cook it up, have some cornbread, it's a good meal. But I remember my dad saying one time, he said, Doris, he said, you guys used to eat this every once in a while. I ate this every day. He goes, I don't like beans and cornbread. He didn't think anything was special about that meal when mom made beans and cornbread, although she still made it. <laughs> Once their beautiful grain fields, they were trampled by war. No one even attempted to tend the land. Why tend the land? Because 
the battles are taking place. The soldiers are just going to come and strip it away. They were living on the bare necessities. Briars and thorns would grow up in the place of their crops, the wheats, the grains, the lands. They would become this desolate place at that time. And so Isaiah 8, 3 and 4 says, Then I went up to the prophetess. This is the fulfillment, the short-term fulfillment of the prophecy. Isaiah, I went up to the prophetess. She conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Merah Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall know knowledge to cry, My father, my mother, the riches of Damascus, the spoils of Syria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. So Isaiah's sons, this son around two years of age, the Assyrians then would conquer Syria. Ten years later, they would take Israel. Judah was in a place of great trouble when this prophecy first came to them. But God promised to save them. In fact, Isaiah's name means Yah has saved or Jehovah has saved. In the prophet's very name, it declared the salvation of God to the people. His first son's name meant a remnant shall return. And that second child that was born, whose name I tried to pronounce, it means speedy as prey. It's going to happen really fast. Isaiah and his sons represented both the coming calamity, but also God's forthcoming salvation. Now on Christmas, John, why are you going through all this? Well, here's what, for one, I had mentioned a few weeks ago that every Christmas season for the last 21 years, I've never taught Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, nor Isaiah 7, verse 14. I've always referenced them, but I've never taught from the actual source of the prophecy from where they came. And so I wanted to deal with that this year. Besides, after 21 years of doing Christmas messages, you either put it on repeat or you try to figure out a new way to do it. And I was hoping to do something more. But here's what I kept thinking about today. Back in Deuteronomy 18.22, Moses told the children of Israel that when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen nor come to pass, it is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So for Isaiah to be a true prophet of the Lord, he had to speak forth prophecy, but not only prophecy, uh, speaking, thus says the word of the Lord, 700 years from now. And the people will say, well, how do we know for sure that 700 years from now this is going to take place? God gave them a near fulfillment of the prophecy. Isaiah was a prophet of God, one that could be relied upon because he spoke the truth of God. But by the time of Jesus' birth, it was around 700 years that had passed. And Isaiah gave his Emmanuel prophecy, though, and now it's going to be fulfilled. And so, Father, we thank you for this word from Isaiah 7:14. And I know I spent a bit of time in the Old Testament today, but I, Lord, I hope that it helps us to have a greater understanding of this prophecy. We thank you, Lord, that Isaiah was a true prophet of God who spoke forth the truth of God to his people who witnessed the fulfillment of a near prophecy 
that gave Joseph the encouragement to believe a far prophecy concerning his own life and the coming of the child of Mary. Father, I pray for us and that it would give us confidence in your word. Though, as we learned even on Sunday, and in Kevin's message of mission unstoppable, that, Lord, things are done in your perfect timing. And tonight, there was even a 700-year time gap from the time the word was first spoken until we find its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And yet, 700 years, Lord, did not negate the prophecy we can still rely upon the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with those who perhaps they do not yet know you. I pray this Christmas season they would open their heart to you, that through prayer, Lord, they would confess their sin and they would ask, Lord Jesus, for you to simply come into their lives, into their hearts, that you might have fellowship with them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.